We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. On Thursday afternoon, I was invited to the Israeli consulate in New York City to be part of a viewing party to watch the Breshit Lunar Module, an unmanned module launched on behalf of the State of Israel as it was preparing to land on the moon. Were it successful, Israel would have been the fourth country in history out of 193 countries currently, and not including all those that are no longer countries, the fourth country in history to land on the moon. The United States did it, Russia did it, China did it, and Israel was about to do it. It was the fifth country to orbit the moon, but it was about to be the fourth country to land. The consul general, the deputy consul general, all types of dignitaries sat around, champagne was chilling. We were very excited to join this elite group of four countries as the module was about to touch down. The module was just a handful of miles away from the surface of the moon, and it had done just recently before what it had done for the last few weeks, which was taking selfies of this unmanned module with all of these fantastic backdrops up in space. But literally, minutes, minutes before that module was scheduled to touch down, the main engine of this module, which was called Breshit, which means Genesis in the beginning, the main engine gave way. And they lost all control of the spacecraft. And then the spacecraft plummeted and crashed into the surface of the moon. And upon crashing, Israel lost all forms of communication with the machine. Now, it happens to be, according to NASA, one of the least expensive space flights in history. It cost $95 million, which is relatively inexpensive. And many would say that after spending $95 million and crashing in to the surface of the moon, that Israel experienced a colossal failure. How could one not say that? The stated purpose was to launch and to land on the moon, and it didn't. But I would argue that what Israel experienced is really a colossal success. And I say it's a success because I don't know of anybody or anything that succeeds without failing first. I just finished a few months ago one of the better books that I've read in the last five years. It's a book by the author named Ronen Bergman, and the title of the book is called Rise Up and Kill First. And it's a history of all of the secret and clandestine services of Israel, like the Shabak, the Shin Bet, like the Mossad, 
and all of the other services that work in Israel. It's a very large book, and it chronicles the beginning stages before Israel was even formed as a state, to its first formation in 48, to things like the capture of Eichmann, to the, uh, to the defection and stealing of a MiG-17 aircraft, to taking out Hamas cells and terrorists and leaders. But I think what I love so much about this book was that it did not chronicle only the successes of Israel, but it chronicled every single time the Mossad and the Shin Bet failed in Israel. And what happened was that through every single failure, Israel learned a tremendous amount, and as a result of that, was able to tweak their game to succeed in the future. Now we are a people that seem to focus on successes as a whole. We like to celebrate the Antebis of the world or the Stuxnets of the world, but we don't seem to remember those operations or activities of which Israelis lost their lives and failed, like the attempted recapture of Nachshon Waxman, an abducted soldier whose whereabouts were found after three days, and in trying to recapture him, we not only lost that soldier, but we lost four other elite units, soldiers from an elite unit in that process. We don't seem to focus on that because it brings us down or it reminds us of how we failed. But sometimes those failures influence other processes and it makes us all a lot stronger. Now I remind my kids every single day that I hope they try hard in school. And I also remind my kids every single day that I do not care if they fail. I don't care if they fail a test, I don't care if they fail on the basketball court, I don't care if they fail in any arena in which they have in life. But I do care if they do not learn from those failures. Because there's a responsibility for our kids and for us as well to learn from mistakes, to accept and embrace a notion of failing and to say it's okay to fail as we learn from the experience. Now that's hard for me at 45. It's hard for people in their 70s and 80s. It's definitely hard for some of the kids in the world. My son is, uh, is hyper-competitive and he brings all of his competition to the basketball court when he plays. And when he loses, he used to beat himself up. He'd get really down on himself. He'd be impossible to talk to. He would bark at everyone. And one day, perhaps in one of my best parenting moves or perhaps one of my worst parenting moves or maybe both, he lost a game and he got really cranky and whiny and annoying. And instead of just accepting it or letting it run its course, I exploded at him and told him everyone fails. And in his innocence, he pushed back and said, not everyone fails, there are many fantastic people out there, people who do great, I'm never gonna make it to the NBA. He didn't want to burst his bubble. <laughs> he, he might, as an owner, he might one day. <laughs> Chances are high. I'm never gonna succeed. So then I took him into Rabbi Friedman's office. Rabbi Friedman uh, was our assistant rabbi, and he had this quote on the wall. 
And I brought my son Elias in there and I said, you're not leaving this room until you memorize this quote. And this was the quote. It's from Michael Jordan, not my favorite basketball player, but no one can deny one of the best of all times. And Michael Jordan said, and this was written on Rabbi Friedman's wall, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 different occasions, I've been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Now, if you stop my son Elias right now, three years later, he can quote that for you by heart. Because, like a jerk of a father, I insisted that he could do nothing else for the next 15 hours until he memorized that quote. And for the next two months, I stopped him anywhere and everywhere and forced him to repeat it to me. On the playground, when I woke him up for breakfast, whatever it was, to make sure it was ingrained in him. And on my best day and most optimistic days, I'm hopeful that one day he'll look at his kids and tell him, them, about the lessons his father tried to impart on him about why it was important to learn from our failures. Now, I don't know about you, but I've learned a lot more about love through having a broken heart. And I've learned a lot more about how to succeed in school through the tests that I failed versus the ones that I studied for. You see, if I didn't study so much for a test and I did well, it said, Kirshner, you could coast. You don't have to try. Just get up there and punch, you'll be fine. But if I got there for that test and I was ill-prepared, or I fell flat on my face, nothing, nothing motivated me more to succeed than that failure. And I would argue that is the way we are wired, and that is a good and a healthy thing. Now, luckily for us, we have a lot of fantastic role models who have led the way on that front. Let's go to our Bible. Let's start at the very beginning, speaking of Breshit in Genesis. Eve, the very second human in creation, is told not to eat from the tree of knowledge. And what's the first thing she does? She eats from the tree of knowledge. She fails the test and is punished as a result. And they learn, as all of us do, from that experience. Noah, the next character we're introduced to, is entrusted with saving all of what's left of the animals and one version of humanity so that they can survive the flood. And as soon as the flood is over, Noah gets into such a drunken stupor that he demonstrates all of the worst behaviors before his sons and others. Abraham chooses to banish the mother of his child, Ishmael, and Hagar. Hagar and Ishmael both are sent away because he can't broker peace between them and Sarah and Isaac. He almost sacrifices his son Isaac, which might make him a great believer, but a terrible father. Rebecca colludes against her husband to give Isaac, uh, Jacob rather, the birthright and colludes against Isaac. Jacob and Esau. Jacob tricks his brother into selling him the birthright. Joseph taunts his brothers and his brothers try and kill him. We are loaded, loaded 
with characters in our Bible, and even just the first seven books, the seven first sidras of people who fail and make terrible mistakes. It's not limited to them. Aaron and Miriam give up hope in Moses and create a golden calf. Moses, in frustration, wants to forsake the Israelite people time and time again. All of our characters that we look up to in the Bible are flawed people, which, by the way, is a redundant statement. Flawed people is a redundant statement. They are flawed, and that is what makes them so fantastic because of their flaws. And we, as people, seem to gravitate to those that have flaws just the same. One of my favorite characters in all of humanity, in all of life, someone who I turn to as a scholar and teacher and leader and model for me and my work as a rabbi has always been Tony Soprano. And what made Tony Soprano such a special person was that he struggled and he failed as much as he succeeded in the work in which he did. And that's why we love that character. Because he wasn't only an impervious mob boss, he was someone who struggled in raising his kids and handling the dynamics and the infrastructure and the work pyramid that he had and in dealing in his marriage and all of the other challenges that comes in life. All of us fail. It's how we take those failures and we turn them into something that matters. So I wanna share a few facts and figures with you very briefly. And it's primarily for the kids in our midst. But I hope the adults will listen and share it as well. Because it's a fantastic reminder to all of us that when we see people or we see products or we see things, that each of them have a thick, deep, rich history that's not always paved with success. So allow me to share just a few with you. Did you know that Sir James Dyson had 5,126 different failed prototypes before he came up with the Dyson vacuum cleaner, which has now been on the market for 15 years and has led to a net worth for Sir Dyson of $4.5 billion. But before he hit that one prototype, he had 5,126 that failed. I bet most of you in this room didn't know that Oprah Winfrey was fired from her first job as a news anchor because she was too emotionally invested in her work, she was told by her production boss. I bet most of you also don't know that Steven Spielberg applied multiple times to USC's film school and every single time he applied, he was denied entry. But the good news is now, he sits on the board of USC. And his films have now grossed over $9 billion. But he never got into USC's film school. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, was on welfare and a single mother as she wrote the first book barely knowing where her next meal would come from. Did you know that Dr. Seuss had his first two books rejected by 27 different publishers? 27 different publishers refused 
to even consider Dr. Seuss's book for publication. Or one of my favorites, Lady Gaga, that she was dropped by her record label three months into being on contract with them absorbing much of the fees because they thought she had no future. Now, she's worth $59 million. She's been one of the leading advocates for LGBT rights and HIV AIDS prevention, especially in Africa. And all of that success and that worth is before she starred in the movie A Star is Born. Now I could literally stand here for the rest of the day and give you chapter and verse of different people that all of us know who have failed before they have succeeded. But the best part is, it's not limited to celebrities. It's not limited to politicians. There isn't one of us in this room that can't think back to a particular failure that has strengthened us and brought our resolve to a new place so that we were able to grow and to succeed. Now, please God, a week from last night, the Jewish members of the faith will sit around a table and celebrate at the Seder. And one of the very first things we do at the Seder, the very first acts, is this strange custom that's not found anywhere in the Bible, it's not found anywhere in the Mishnah, and it's not found anywhere in the Talmud, is this tradition of yachatz, breaking the middle matzah. Now we break the middle matzah and we take half of it and we hide it for what's going to become the afikomen, which is this like elongated hide and go seek to make sure that the kids have an interest in the process of the Seder and all that happens with it. And we do learn from one of the commentators in the 1100s, 12th century time, who says that when we break the middle matzah, we don't say any prayer. So let me ask you a question. If your Seder is anything like my Seder, we use nice matzah for the Seder. Sometimes we even use that shmura matzah that's harder than the very box that it comes in. It's rounded, it comes from Israel, it costs about $3,000 a box. And it's not an easy task to open the box and to find three perfectly whole matzahs with no breaks in them. They're supposed to be these perfect things. So here we go through the process. There's probably 10 pieces. And to find three that aren't broken is just on this side of a miracle. We find them. We put them on the table to celebrate what is a feast. And the first act we do with the matzah, before we say a blessing over it, before we pour into it, before we recognize it, anything, is we break it. We take something that's whole, something that people worked on, something that's supposed to be complete, and we break it. And why do we break it? Well, one of the commentators said, we break it to remind ourselves that even as free people, we are still broken. And I challenge any single person in this room to take the matzah at their Seder and to try and break it perfectly down one of those perforated lines that are found in that square. And I will challenge any of you for a perfect break. It doesn't happen. No matter what, when you try and break that matzah, it will break unevenly. It will never break down the perforation. 
And as I said last year and I say this year, I contend that is to remind us that things don't always go the way we intend and plan in life. That the very nature of our life is about a sense of brokenness. After all, isn't it the beautiful Yiddish proverb that says, man plans and God laughs? We can plan to break that matzah every single year, right down the center. And whether it's at the Seder or whether it's the next morning when we're spreading cream cheese on it, it won't break down the center. And it reminds us that things don't always go as we plan and that there is brokenness in all of our lives. And when we accept that brokenness before we go forward, even in a feast, even celebrating freedom, then we can accept the failure and turn that in to success. Whether we're talking about Steven Spielberg, Sir Dyson, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, my son's basketball game, the Matzah hand, or the Israeli government and the people trying to send an unmanned lunar module to orbit and land on the moon. What we can be reminded of is that our failures will lead to greater success and that striving for success is fantastic, but accepting the failure is what leads to the fantastic moment of that success. We read in the Psalms, We look our eyes up to heaven. And we also read, That we here are on this earth and God is up in the skies. And as we think of the psalmist and we look heavenly, we look towards the moon when it will be full and beautiful on Passover Eve, the middle of the Hebrew month of Nisan. Look at it and smile because I assure all of you that there will be another lunar module represented from Israel with an Israeli flag on it and it will make touchdown on that moon eventually. Not because it's easy, as John F. Kennedy of blessed memory said, but because it's hard and because we will learn from our failures. We will learn from the brokenness of the matzah. That is what causes all of us to be stronger. And when we do, and when we celebrate that landing, let us realize how this moment helps shape that moment and how our failures help shape all of our successes. May we find the place in our hearts to embrace it in ourselves and in others. And may we always look towards the skies to see miracles.